We're so glad you're here today, so thankful for each and every one of you today and pray that God's doing good things in your life. Listen, I just want to give a big shout out and uh, I want to invite us to show our appreciation to, you know, our setup teams and, and all the guys that are working to get church back to full strength. And uh, we're in week two, but you've got to understand, we've had equipment stored all over the place for like 15 months and the last couple of weeks, we've had some men and women, young and old, just frantically working from seven o'clock to get everything working the best that it can be for those who are coming to church on Sunday morning. And I know this morning was a labour. Um, some people just sweated themselves till there was no sweat left. And, uh, and our sound team are working on equipment that hasn't been used for 15 months and are, are mixing stuff. You're doing a great job, guys, to the setup team, to our, our sound team, to all those things. Come on, let's show our appreciation. You're doing a great job. And we're so thankful for each and every one of you. We're going to release Ignition, and hopefully that's the last group of people we're going to release, because there's not going to be many left afterwards. And uh, here we are, summer coming back. We've still got a whole bunch of people watching church online that have uh, some COVID consciousness and, and we're just so thankful that we can continue to bring church to people in their homes and in their workplaces. And also here we are in August, summer holidays, where we have people coming and going over the next four weeks and uh, we also have visitors coming to see us during summer holidays. So if you're a visitor today, we want to give you a warm welcome again and just uh, hope that you've enjoyed your time of praise and worship with us. We're in a series at the moment called Good Foundations. And uh, whenever I think of the word good foundations, I think of the old Beach Boys song, anybody else? Good, good, good. Not vibrations. Yeah, we got some, uh, some people at the back that were there when the song came out. We honour you. We bless you. But you know, when you hear that song on the radio, good, 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 good vibrations. We're, we're not talking about good vibrations, though. We're talking about good foundations and the importance of having good foundations under our feet. Not just in life with practical things, but also in spiritual things, in our walk with the Lord. And so we're going to continue on in this series that we've started called Good Foundations. And we spoke last week about the importance of foundations. We looked at some examples. The Twin Towers remained standing so people could get out because the foundations had been built to withstand a plane hitting them, which is bizarre, isn't it? We also look at foundations that people put in place when they build bridges, that when storms come, the storms don't take the bridges away because of an unseen reality in the construction of the bridge called the foundation. And, you know, recently on the news, we saw the Miami building sadly crumble and many lives lost again when that building in Miami crumbled. And they said that when they studied that, they found that there was actually a problem with the foundations, that water had seeped into the foundations and weakened them. Now, there's a parallel there for us, isn't there, that we've got to make sure that we've got strong foundations in God, that we're investing into our foundations. We're not idle regarding our foundations, but also we're protecting our foundations. Like we said last week, I really believe that the condition of people spiritually coming out of this time of lockdown or pandemic is relative to the foundations they 
personally had in God going into a time that came unannounced. We've seen some people drift away and were seen no more. We've seen other people that just cruised or paused, but other people decided to press in because they understood that God was still God, that his kingdom was still intact, still vibrant, still effective. We looked last week at the verse, the warning in Proverbs 22, that the writer of Proverbs gives us, where it encourages us not to move ancient boundary stones set up by our forefathers. And we looked how those foundation stones could be relevant or relative to Jesus Christ in our life as the cornerstone of all cornerstones, but also foundational truth, having strong foundational truth in our life. So that like what Jesus taught, when a storm comes, a man that built without foundational truth may see what he built ripped away but the person that chooses to build upon the rock, upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, upon foundational truths that were given us by our forefathers in the faith, Abraham, John, Peter, the apostles, when we choose to say they will not be moved, what we're actually saying is we will not be moved. When we allow boundary stones of foundational truth to be immovable in our lives, we actually set ourselves up for an immovable life, if that makes sense. So we likened these boundary stones mentioned in Proverbs to foundational truths in our lives. We looked at avoiding things, um, gospels of what we would call modern progressivism, that would come in and say, oh, God's evolved or God's progressed. The truths that he gave then are not relevant for today. That's a lie. God's truth is relevant through every generation. They weren't relevant 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago. The word of God and the foundational truths of God's word are relevant for you today. Also, sometimes you can hear a gospel of compromise where people have chosen rather than to become Christ-like and live a life where they're becoming more like God, they seek to bring God down to be like them. That's a gospel of compromise that says, I won't pay the price to be what God has called me to be. I'll bring God down and cheapen him to validate certain ways of living that I know deep down inside of me are not right. We want to be a people that have no compromise. We want to be a people that are not watering God down. We, we want to be a people that aren't saying that God is a different God today than what he was 2,000 years ago or from the beginning of all time. We want to be ascending the hill of the Lord, amen? Anybody with me? To be knowing him more and more in his fullness. So now we're taking this journey together over the next few weeks, looking at some of these boundary stones, which we could also call keystones. What are keystones? They're key stones. That's deep, wasn't it? What are keystones? They're key stones. Now, when I looked at what a keystone was, it fitted so well. It fitted in so well with this journey that we're now taking together. Because it says a keystone, let me give you the definition of a keystone from the dictionary. A keystone is a central stone that locks the whole of something together. It says it's a central principle or the part of a policy 
on which all other parts depend or are dependent, the other parts or other stones find their strength in the keystone being correctly in place. Does that make sense? So the dictionary says that a keystone isn't just any other stone, but it's a key stone that enables the other stones involved or the other parts of a policy to all come together in a harmony that causes success. So when we look at certain truths, boundary stones, keystones, we're looking at truths of God's word that aren't take them or leave them. Not secondary discussions of non-primary things, but primary things. Now, one of these keystones that we're going to speak about today, we're going to carry on next week, is grace. Grace. Grace should be a keystone beneath the feet of a believer. Now, for me, when I look back on my life, I see that there was always grace under one foot and righteousness under another in my understanding of God, who he was, and what he'd done for me. And I've got no intention of moving those two boundary stones because they've done me good and they've kept me safe. We're going to be looking at righteousness next week, then we're going to move on to looking at justification. Important keystone truth that means that you will remain strong no matter what storm comes along. So we want to talk about this keystone truth that's called grace. Now don't shut off for me, some of you are like, yeah, I've sung the song, Amazing Grace, I've heard grace preached by the best of them, Pastor Andy. Well, just, just maybe God could say something new to you today about grace if we come with open hearts. So we want to talk about the grace of God. The truth that a person, every person that's saved, is saved by God's grace to live in God's grace. Now that's so simple you could miss the depth of it. Every one of us today rejoice in the fact that we've been saved. Anybody glad that they're saved? But do you know as you should that you were saved not by anything that you did, but by the grace of God. In his grace, he saved us. And he calls us being saved by grace would be enough, but he calls us to walk in his grace and experience it in our daily lives. Now, it's actually when you take time to breathe and look at grace, you find that it truly is like the songwriter John Newton penned so well, amazing. Grace, when you understand it for what it is, is truly an amazing thing. Now, when we speak about grace I, I always say there's three sisters you normally find always somewhere near each other, and that's love, grace, and mercy. But when we speak about grace, we understand that grace is the produce of the love of God towards us, even when we were unlovable. And love is God. God is love. Love is another way that God spells his name. But in his love, he gives us grace. What is grace? It's us getting from God what we never deserved. But also, he shows us in his grace incredible daily mercy. Now, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, 
But mercy is God not giving us what we do. So when we understand these incredible sisters, love, grace, and mercy, we actually see God for who he is. But I want to single out one of the sisters today. I want to single out grace and look at grace and believe that God would open our hearts in a fresh way. So our foundational truth that we're building upon today is very simple yet very profound. A person is saved by grace. That's a keystone thought or belief in our lives. Let me read you some well-known verses that underline this truth. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then it says, by grace, you have been saved. Past tense, it's, it's been done. Verse 6, and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. God wants to demonstrate the immeasurable richness of his grace in how he saved us. He's demonstrating, God is showing off in a good sense, the immeasurable, incredible abundance of the grace he has for each and every one of us. And then it says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. I like that. For you have been saved. Some people don't realize they have been. They're still waiting to be saved. Where the Bible says, you have been saved through, uh, by grace, through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of your works or your performance, your doing. So that no one is left with the ability to boast. So salvation is the result of God's grace, not our ability. If it was our ability, we'd be singing songs about ourselves today. We sing songs to God today because it was his grace alone that saved us even when we were undeserving. Somebody give me an amen. amen. Titus 2 verse 11 for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Who's that verse speaking about? Jesus. Grace has appeared, bringing God's salvation to all people. Now, I'm not going to be preaching today or next week. I want us to take time to teach a little bit on these truths, because I want them to be truths that remain in your life long beyond this weekend. Now, what is grace? Well, there's many definitions, aren't there? Here's one that I found on the internet that I thought summed it up pretty good. Grace is a constant theme in the Bible, and it culminates in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ. The word translated grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, or as it's pronounced in Greek, charis, which means favor, blessing, or kindness. We can all extend grace to other people, but when the word grace is used in connection with God, it takes us on a more powerful journey. It means it has a more powerful meaning. 
Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserved. It is his benevolence to the undeserving. Isn't that awesome? Grace is God's benevolence to the undeserving. Now, if you thought you deserved it, you've not understood salvation or grace. Grace is displayed that we, none of us deserved it. It was about God's benevolence. Now, here's two more common definitions you may have heard. There's many. The first one is divine assistance. You would say to some people, well, what is grace? And they would say, well, grace is divine assistance. Well, that's actually not what grace is. That's what grace does. The question is, what is grace? For us to respond divine assistance, we're correct, but we're not fully correct because grace or divine assistance is what God does for us. He divinely assists us so we can be fully saved and then live a life beyond what we dreamed. So it's the second definition that I think is um, more correct and one we've all heard before. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favour. That's what grace is. Divine assistance is what it does, but grace in itself is God's undeserved, unmerited, whatever order you want to put those in, unearned favour and love towards us. So these three uns are the pillars of grace. Let's go over these three uns one more time. Unmerited, what does that mean? Not because of anything we merited or deserved. What God has done for us in saving us and what God does for us in sustaining us is not dependent on anything that was merited to us or what we deserved. So it's undeserved. That means it's not because of anything that we were entitled to. There can be a lot of entitlement in modern life, can't there? I'm entitled to this. You should do this for me. That's the language of entitlement. Yet when it comes to grace, none of us were entitled to it. But God freely pours it upon us. And then thirdly, unearned. Grace, true grace, is not something we're ever able to achieve by our own means. Rather, it's a gift from a God that adores us. So it's God doing what we can't do. It's God's ability to achieve in us and do through us what we could never do on our own. We're saved by his grace. But this is an important factor to remember. We're also called to live in his grace. So we understand saving grace, but we've also got to celebrate sustaining grace. That's a good point, isn't it? But we understand saving grace. You see, when the guy wrote the song Amazing Grace, we'll look at a few words from it a little bit later, he actually recognised not just the grace of God to save him in his moment of dire despair, but also the grace that carried him from that moment into a home called heaven. Do you know that a lot of what you're experiencing today is just simply God's grace and his goodness and his favour overtaking you because he can't help himself. Okay, so here's seven quick key thoughts on grace as we lay this keystone, boundary stone beneath our feet 
that we declare to the gospel of compromise, we will not move, to that which says God has changed, no he hasn't, grace is still grace. Number one, God's grace is given, it's never earned or achieved. Oh, I know that. No, no, my question is the same question that Paul asked, but do you know that as you should? Because it's amazing how we can all know things in our mind, yet the things we say we know don't affect the lives we live. God wants us to understand his grace beyond our mental capability to perceive it, to a depth that it then governs everything we choose to do and the things we don't. Let's look what the Bible teaches on this. Romans, we're going to be in Romans a little bit today, okay? Romans 5.17. For if, because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through one man, Adam, much more, don't you love that? What Adam did wrong, God much more did right. God never equals what man did in their error. He supersedes it. What Adam did wrong... Jesus did much more right. For if by one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness now reign in this life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now this is a key verse as we teach on grace this week and righteousness next week. But we are all partakers, people who have received abundance, not a little bit, not a dribble, abundance of God's grace and the gift of righteousness. John 1.16 again says, and from his fullness we have, past tense, all received, not earned, grace upon grace upon grace Come on, Nacho, are you receiving grace upon grace upon grace, unmerited, unearned favour upon unmerited, unearned favour? You turn around and there's grace again. You look up and grace hits you. You look behind and grace is pursuing you. Grace upon grace. I feel sorry for those who were merely saved by grace because we're also to be sustained by grace. I think other cultures understand this better than English people. Often when you speak to somebody that's come from an African culture, grace will be a lot of their terminology. And I love that. Often when you speak to an English person, it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then I'm going to go over here. But if you speak to somebody from an African culture, they say this, by the grace of God. Come on, I'm getting a lot of nods. Because they were raised to understand the sustaining grace of God, not just the grace that saves. I want to become more African in my speaking of grace in my life. Because being a British understander of grace is simply not enough. Can I get an amen? Now, it says, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Notice the key words here are receive and received, not earn or earned. It's not God helping us out every now and then, but leaving us to our own devices. Grace is God carrying us when we know it and when we don't. Some theologians say that grace 
is like oars that God provides for us to use. And if we keep rowing, we'll end up in heaven and not hell. That's not correct. That's not correct. Because if grace is just oars that God gives us to use, if we stop rowing, we're in troubles. And if we row well, the glory goes to us and not him. My friends, grace is not the oars given to keep us rowing in the right direction. It's the arms of God continually carrying us when we know it and when we don't. Is this okay today? Number two, God's grace was fully demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to know what grace looks like. Just look at the Son of God hanging on the cross Look at the Son of God dying on a cross to make the unholy holy and the unrighteous righteous. Look at the love of God sending his only beloved Son to qualify those who had been unqualified through their disobedience. If you look at Christ on the cross, I believe there's no better picture of God's grace. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's grace and love and mercy are demonstrated with Christ on the cross. You see, Jesus dying on the cross was him being the broker between the benefactor and the beneficiary. You see, Jesus is God's grace revealed Because he's the one that in his own life joined together the benefactor and the beneficiary. You see, you had God in heaven that had everything man could ever need, yet you had man on earth desperately needy. Someone needed to join them together because Adam had broken the relationship. Jesus Christ laid aside his majesty, came to the earth, died on a cross to join the hand of the benefactor and the beneficiary. He was the broker to the goodness of God. That's Jesus. Number three, God's grace replaces not some, all other alternatives. God's grace replaces all other alternatives. Well, what do you mean by alternatives, Andy? Well, the Bible says there were previous alternatives to being saved by grace. It was works and law. But all of a sudden, the righteousness that now comes from God is revealed to us, not based upon our works or us keeping the law, but simply on faith in what Christ did for us. Romans 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of our works. Otherwise, I love this statement, grace would no longer be grace. If it's based upon our ability to perform or do, it's no longer grace. It's a wage deserved, not a gift given. It's something we deserve, not something we achieved by his goodness. All right, I know it's warm in here, stay with me. Grace replaces previous experiences like keeping the law or our works given to earn his favor. Christ has positioned us now in the favor of God outside of our works and keeping the law. We'll dig into that more next week. 
So what we're kind of saying is law and our works were pretty loud, but grace shouts louder. Grace should shout louder in your life than your works or your thoughts of keeping a law to make God put his favour upon your life. Now, grace has come to us in Jesus. It's a present reality. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came, past tense, through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. But the law was actually, again, next week we'll dig into this, was only in position to lead us to a place of our own inability so that we would say, God save me. And experience his grace to save what we couldn't save ourselves. Number four, grace is always entered into by and through faith. Remember the opening verse in Ephesians? Through grace we have been saved. By grace we have been saved through faith. Remember, grace is unearned, undeserved and unmerited. We simply add belief to what God has promised he's done to experience what God has made available to us. Like Abraham, we hear the promise of God of what he's done and what he will do. We respond with, I believe. And it's accredited and accounted to us outside of our performance to produce. You say, but you're making me feel very inadequate, Andy. Exactly. Grace should leave us feeling inadequate concerning saving ourselves and keeping ourselves because then our eyes are lifted to a greater one than us. All right, let's get through this quickly. Grace is how we're now to relate to God. This is to be a grace-based relationship. God didn't just want to save you by grace. He wants you to live by grace. God doesn't want a law-based relationship with you like he had with people before the cross. He wants a grace-based relationship where you walk daily in his favour, his goodness, in that which is undeserved, that which is unearned, that which is unmerited. God wants you to experience his grace in a grace relationship, not a legal law-bound one. Romans 6 verse 14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you, listen, since you are no longer under the law, you are now under grace. No longer, which means people were once under the law, otherwise there would be no place for a no longer. You are no longer this side of a cross, living in the finished work of Christ, you are no longer under the law. You're now under grace. Come on, this is good, isn't it? Makes you stop striving. Number six, grace transforms us to live differently, not give us a license to keep on sinning. Sometimes when you hear people speak on grace, it's like they've received a license from God to keep living the wrong way that they were living because now Christ has paid for all sin. That is a misunderstanding of grace. Grace doesn't give you a license to carry on sinning. Grace gives you the ability to fly high and live a life you never dreamed you could in his ability. 
we've got to make sure we're not cheapening grace to make it a sloppy thing that licenses wrong living. Rather, we're saying, now through your grace, I've been saved and I'm being transformed from glory to glory into his image. And number seven, grace leaves you positioned correctly before God. You see, when we as believers understand how amazing God's grace is, there's no room for our own boastfulness, arrogance, or self-achievement. If we truly understand grace in its fullness, all we're left able to do is worship him. You've been so good to me, Lord. You've given me what I never deserved. You gave me what I've never earned, what I could never earn, that which I never merited. God, you've... You see, when we understand grace as grace truly is, we're not left saying, look at me, this is how I've done, look at what I've done. We're saying, it's you, God, it's you, God. You're the one who saved that which couldn't save itself. You're the one who sustained the one that should have fallen over years ago, but you kept him strong. Grace upon grace upon grace. You see, when a person encounters God's grace, it changes everything and it reroutes their life from who they were to who God's called them to be. Like I mentioned before, one classic example would be John Newton. He was the man that wrote the song Amazing Grace. And his life actually demonstrates grace in an incredible way. You see, his life is the story of a sin-bound man who was a slave ship captain. He was the captain of a slave ship, was this rider of amazing grace. But when he found God's grace, he became free, forgiven, but then dedicated the rest of his life to abolitionism, to the ending of slavery. So grace came to this man, John Newton, who was treating people with insane wrongness. But when grace came to his heart, grace saved him, but turned his life around that this slave ship captain suddenly dedicated his life along with people like William Wilberforce to the removal of things like racism, slavery and inequality. That's what grace does. It doesn't save you in a moment. It sustains you for the rest of your life. Let me just end today just with just a couple of verses from this this hymn that he wrote. Because you'll see that this man didn't believe in saving grace alone. But in a grace that saves and then sustains. I believe he was a man that if you met him would say, by the grace of God tomorrow, I'm going to do this. Because he knew his life without grace and never wanted to go back there. All right, let me read these words. Most of you know them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He wasn't calling himself a wretch any longer. He was referring to his old creation experience of life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... I am found. I was, past tense, blind. But now, because of the grace of God, I'm fully seeing God for who he is and life for what it should be. 
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. That hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils and snares, storms, seasons, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. I'm so thankful that this man wrote this song on Amazing Grace, but the fact remains each of us have a story on the song of Amazing Grace. I remember who I was 30 years ago when he stepped into my world and made everything right. But when I look back on my life from the moment I started following him at the age of 24 to who I am now, how old am I, Gina? What am I, 56 or something? 56 now, apparently. You see, grace never met me when I was 24. Grace changed me when I was 24. And it's carried me. It's not been oars that I've used, but it's been the arms of God that carried me from being broken at 24 to seeing so many incredible things and standing here knowing that the best is yet to come. So today we celebrate this keystone that we're saved by grace. And we're kept by grace. What's our application to this message today? How do we live this out in the car park in a minute? Number one, this week, let's learn to rest in his grace more. Let's not drift back into performance, trying to earn, trying to gain his love through things we do or things we don't. Let's learn to rest in the grace that's unmerited, undeserved and unearned. But also I think there's a powerful lesson for us all to be graceful to others. Jesus said, freely you've been given. Now freely give. How do we respond when people don't deserve something from us? How do we, des- how, how do we respond to people when they do us wrong? How, how, do we, how do we respond to people when people did things or said things that weren't kind or right. Well, if we understand grace, we show grace. If we understand that we're living in the unmerited, undeserved and unearned from God to us, then surely there must be a prompting of the Holy Spirit to now give forgiveness, love and kindness to those who may not deserve it, earn it or merit it. Freely we've been given. Now freely we give. We're going to look next week at righteousness, the keystone that God in his own doing made a man righteous that was once unrighteous. These are important stones, guys. These are keystone truths. But if we get these beneath our feet, ain't no one going to stop you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received his saving grace you've never understood that he wasn't looking for you to earn it just receive it as a gift I want to give you an opportunity today to experience undeserved unmerited and totally unearned favour and goodness of God to save your life 
but to then carry your life from this moment, all of your days till you see him face to face. Oh, can we pray together, church? Let's all pray out loud right now and just pray together to encourage those that are maybe praying for the first time. Thank you, Father, that you have given us grace in Jesus Christ. You've saved us by your doing, not our performance. We add nothing to our saving. It all comes from you. I receive your grace. I believe, Jesus, you are my saviour. And you have saved me. And you've positioned me now in the favour of God. Forgiven I stand with no boast of my own. Simply thanksgiving to the one that saved me. Amen. Just my every eyes closed, head bowed. Just in this closing moment, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as Savior or experienced the grace of God in your life, but you want to, maybe you've been away from God and today you say, oh, I'm coming back. Today's my comeback. This is my comeback today. This is my comeback. Somebody write it in a diary. This is my comeback. And you prayed that prayer from a sincere heart. I want to give you an opportunity just to lift your hand and say, yep, that's my confession. That's me. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and just go, I prayed that prayer for me today, Andy. I'm just going to count to three and then give you the opportunity. One, two, three. God bless you. I see that hand. This was a second person today. You say, me too, Andy. I just need the grace of God. I don't know what I've been doing, but I just need the grace of God. I need the saving grace of God that will sustain me for the rest of my days. Is there a second person? You say, me too. Somebody that's been away from God coming back. Father, I thank you today for this man who's responded. I pray that he would fully understand the things we've just shared and that your grace would visit his life in a powerful, transforming way so that he's never the same again for your glory. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to live in your grace and show your grace to others. Amen.